Uh, undercover, yeah, and we're gonna. Yeah, I think you're real convincing, Satan. Hey, hey, this is funny. You'd have to walk in there and uh, and say, uh, uh, hold on, let me just get a few more camera equipment. Just hold the show. Okay, uh, this is uh, of course in the new age in the new age movement in the occult. Lecture number twelve. Uh, we're discussing witchcraft. Uh, the two distinctions I want you to keep in mind. You'll have to know it for the test. Uh, keep in mind the distinction between witchcraft and Satanism and then keep in mind the distinction between white magic the use of magical powers for the good of mankind and black magic the use, use of magical powers to cause others harm so keep in mind those two distinctions Okay. Uh, from a Christian perspective though both white and black magic derive their power from Satan and from, from the demonic realm. Um, though they, they're worshiping nature and that type of thing, all false gods fall in the category uh, of the demonic realm as far as uh, the Lord Jesus is concerned and the Apostle Paul. Uh, okay, demonic possession and uh, what we often call haunted houses. Uh, if you have uh, your textbook handbook uh, of today's religions by Josh McDowell and Don Stewart, uh, if you open up to page 179, uh, by the way, I can't remember the guy's name, if it was, uh, I think it was Osterreich. There was a guy, he didn't even believe in demon possession. He was a German psychologist who fled Germany when the Nazis rose to power. Or actually, after the Nazis rose to power. I think it was uh, just a little bit before World War II. But he had this huge book which contained in it eyewitness testimonies recorded up. Every recorded eyewitness testimony that he found of demon possession and uh, now he would try to define demon possession in a non-supernaturalistic way you know and he did try to define it naturalistically at the same time uh, the accounts that he gives he starts with the gospel accounts which he did not believe the Bible is God's word but he believed that these were reliable accounts and then he gave accounts from you know, that's the first century A.D. Then he gave accounts from the second century A.D., a few accounts from the third century A.D., fourth century A.D., and he continued to give eyewitness accounts that are recorded in literature uh, from uh, the Chinese, from the Jews, from, from all over the globe, from the Europeans, uh, right up until, uh, I believe, the 19th century. Well, then with Professor Walter Martin, and there, there are others besides him, but I think he was one of the most stable-minded guys that gave us uh, the late Dr. Walter Martin, eyewitness testimony of some exorcisms that he had performed. Uh, the Catholic Church has documented several... Uh, the Catholic Church in the area of demon possession, there are certain criteria that must be met before they will actually perform an exorcism. Unlike the average... Uh, uh, Bible Baptist Church down the block that'll uh, you know they'll exercise demons out of uh, out of uh, you know little little Joey 
um, you know, because they caught him watching The Simpsons and something or something. And uh, and uh, granted, you know, granted, maybe maybe uh, little Joey should should not be learning his moral values from Bart or Homer for that matter. But uh, at the same time, uh, that that probably not good evidence that the kid's demon possessed. Um, if you look long enough at little Joey nowadays in America, you could find some evidence somewhere. But uh, but Walter Martin gave uh, gave several examples, and I want to read from page 179 from the Handbook of Today's Religions, authored by Josh McDowell and Don Stewart. Now they're quoting from a book that has has been out of print for years, a book written by Walter Martin, Exorcism, Fact or Fable, published by Vision House Publishers in 1975, found on pages 17, 18, and 21 there, but it's at 179 of McDowell and Stewart. Uh, Martin wrote as follows, recently, and of course this was in the 1970s, recently in the San Fernando Valley of California, three husky clergymen tried to hold down a 120-pound girl who was possessed with multiple demons. She successfully resisted all three of them for a number of minutes until she was finally subdued. However, she was still able to kick one man's shins until they were bloody, demonstrating tremendous supernatural power. In Newport, California, I encountered a case of demonic possession in which five persons, including myself, were involved. In this case, the girl, who was about five feet, four inches tall and weighed 120 pounds, attacked a 180-pound man and with one arm flipped him five or six feet away. It took four of us, including her husband, to hold her body to a bed while we prayed in the name of Jesus Christ for the exorcism of the demons within her. During the course of the exorcism, we found out that she was possessed because she had worshipped Satan. And because of that worship, uh, he had come with his forces and taken control of her. Uh, she was a perfect tear uh, in the wheat field, as Jesus said in Matthew 13, 24-30. She, she had married a Christian, was a daughter of a Christian minister, had taught Sunday school in a Christian church, and had appeared on the surface to be perfectly consistent with Christian theology. But the whole time she was laughing inwardly at the church and at Christ. It was not until her exorcism that she was delivered and received Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. Today, she and her husband are on the mission field serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I have a psychologist friend who was present with me at an exorcism in Newport Beach, California. Before we entered the room, he said, I want you to know I do not believe in demonic possession. This girl is mentally disturbed. I said, that may well be. We'll find out very soon. As he went into the room and closed the door, the girl's supernatural strength was soon revealed. Suddenly from her body, a totally foreign voice said quietly with a smirk on the face, she was unconscious, the psychologist testified to that, we will outlast you. The psychologist looked at me and said, uh, what was that? This is what you don't believe in, I said. We spent about three and a half hours exercising what the psychologist didn't believe in. At the end of the exorcism, he was not only a devout believer in the personality of the devil, but in demonic possession and biblical exorcism as well. He now knows that there are other dimensional beings capable of penetrating this dimension and of controlling human beings. Well, I sure, sure hope so, but 
whatever the case, that's a quote. That was a quote from Walter Martin that brings up uh, uh, probably two different accounts. It sounds like uh, two of the accounts are the same account. Uh, but uh, uh, whatever the case, the, the movie The Exorcist was actually based. Uh, Hollywood got its hands into it, but it was based on a true story. I believe it was in the Washington thing. It was in Georgia, but it was it was actually a boy, a 12 or 13 year old boy, in the Washington D.C. area, and uh, 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 docu- documented uh, they documented levitation and that type of thing. Uh, I also knew a guy, a rigger at Bangor, uh, who was about as far from the kingdom of God as you can get. I I thought that if anybody blasphemed the Holy Spirit, it would have been him because uh, I just couldn't. Couldn't find that he liked me, but he wanted nothing to do with Christ, and we get almost violent when you would talk with him about Jesus. So I stopped witnessing to the guy. Then I started hearing stories of uh, this guy in Port Orchard. His house is is uh, getting bombarded by demonic activity, and there's large, heavy objects being hurled off the wall, and uh, stones being thrown from uh, rocks being thrown from the wooded area that no human could throw. It looked like they were being, being catapulted in and that type of thing. And, um, and you know, I, I just thought, no, this, this sounds too crazy. This isn't going on. Uh, but then when I found out that uh, the guy that I, the rigger that I thought that would uh, never be saved had recently accepted Christ and that it was his house that this had occurred at and that's why he came to Christ, then I decided it was worth looking into. And at the point that we got involved, there was no longer anything supernatural occurring, uh, at least on the premises. But one of the sons was claiming that things were happening to him once he would get off his property. And it turns out that there was enough godly Christians that had intervened and had prayed over the house and prayed over the family and that type of thing uh, that it seemed like the family was protected, but this one guy had an open door. This one guy... He was also receiving martial arts lessons from a guy who taught his students that he is a manifestation of God and basically was trying to encourage his students to worship him. Uh, So, uh, you know, there was a lot of open doors there and that type of thing. Um, And I I talked to a lot of eyewitnesses uh, who seemed to be reliable people you know, Christians have been Christians for years, uh, non-believers, whatever, uh, that uh, were eyewitnesses to some of the uh, supernatural uh, things that had occurred there uh, before we came on the scene. And uh, uh, so the, the cases are there. In fact, Unsolved Mysteries has documented two or three cases real well. There was one case where it was raining inside the house, wherever this guy was, whenever he would go into his trance. Um you had, what, uh, two or three corrections officers that testified on that program. You had two or three police officers that testified. You had a restaurant owner. You had the couple. It was their house that, uh, that this was occurring at. That couple, they testified. The guy that it was at, you had about 12 or 13 people, and about half of them were professionals who were putting their careers on the line. Uh, by doing that Um, and so I think you had some reliable eyewitness testimony 
you know, the first thing they did too, when it's all this water's coming down, they call the, the plumber. And when he starts looking for these leaking pipes, and he says, I, I can't see how you can have that much water leaking from all these different places in your ceiling. And when he starts looking through the pipes, and you realize it's, it's got nothing to do with the plumbing, he just he says, uh, you know, he's running out the door, and they say, no, you didn't fix it. And he says, hey, you don't need me. You need a priest. And he takes off. Then they call the cops, and then the cops show up on the scene, and within 15, the first thing they say is call a plumber, and then when they tell them what the plumber said, they start laughing. But then they started looking at this guy, and he's all pale in the corner, and he's still in his trance. And after a while, they, uh, in fact, one of them even took, a, one of them was a Catholic guy, took a crucifix and put it in the guy's hands, and it heated up so hot that he had to drop it. And it's just some crazy, crazy stuff. Um, and it didn't stop. It was actually a case of uh, what you would call transference, what occult what experts call uh, transference. Um, demons have been known if there is an open door and there seems to be the scriptural uh, warrant for holding this view the Bible teaches that a sin will visit uh, the son of a father you know go from, pass on from generation to generation for those who know not Christ basically those who don't know the Lord so only Jesus Christ can break the chain, but if there's open doors, you can have demons staying in the same family, influencing the same. What happened was this guy was being sexually abused by his grandfather throughout his teen years, and he hated his grandfather, but he kept it to himself. And then his grandfather's laying there dead at his, at his funeral, and everybody's talking about what a great man he was. And so this guy was all ticked off, but he kept it to himself and he knelt down in front of the coffin and was supposed to be you know praying there and that's when he went into his first trance and then the the, the trances would come every few days or whatever but wherever he was it happened inside a restaurant it happened inside a home and it happened inside a jail cell um, what did he get arrested for? Was it, was it part of the case? oh he was uh, the guy was all messed up and you know that's you know a lot of times children who are abused you know yeah. that, that really isn't a good example uh, you know that they get a lot of war it's, it's very easy to get war views very few people come out of a situation like that without some kind of uh, you know getting in some kind of trouble with the with the law before coming out of it through the, the, the grace of God if that is the case if they ever do come out of it and uh, uh, they they uh, they brought a, uh, a female Protestant preacher, and she said the Our Father over him, and it left temporarily, but then came back a few days later. But finally, it was uh, the chaplain in the prison went in there and, and cast the, the demon out in the name of Jesus Christ. And after that period of time, he was doing okay. But you know, unsolved mysteries, they, they never tell you if the guy ever accepted Christ. You know, and and I, yeah, and when you read what Jesus says that uh, you know when the unclean spirit leaves a man, uh, if the guy's still messed up, if he hasn't turned his life over to Christ, that demon's going to come back with seven buddies. Yeah. So, uh, um, but uh, anyway, what I'm getting at is that there there are multitudes of eyewitness accounts. Another real good book. Uh, if you want, by the way, that that book, Osterreich's book, it, it was at Sylvan Way Library. I checked it out of there. 
And, uh, and this is a guy who doesn't believe in demon possession, but he's got all these cases and he's trying to explain them away. Uh, he actually thought it was some kind of psychological, some kind of mental illness that we just didn't, you know, we just didn't know enough about humans. Uh, it was pretty crazy, but, uh, uh, um, but another book is, uh, oh, I don't remember the guy's name, I think it's Edmund Gruss. But uh, a really solid book is is about the the Ouija board and people who have become demon possessed because of uh, usage of the uh, Ouija board, and that's where he documented cases of these rocks flying, which I had never heard of until I encountered that situation out in Port Orchard, and then I found out that it is not an uncommon uh, occurrence. Uh, with demon possession rock cases. Really, real rock or, or what? Just, <laughs> just no. Well, well, actually, actually, uh, you guys laugh, but actually, some of the rocks do disappear when they hit the ground, and some of them remain. Yeah. See, this guy, you know, this this rigor that was totally opposed to the Christian faith. When that started occurring, he took his two sons and they got their shotguns. And they went into the wooded area. It's like five acres of land. They went into the wooded area, not looking for catapults, because it was, there was no way. He said, at, at first, when they first started flying, uh, they thought maybe there could be a few humans throwing them. They even saw shadows at times, throwing them at first. Uh, and so they thought, you know, there's some guys there that hate our guts that are back in there. That, that, and so they were looking around for maybe some homeless guys camping out in their wooded area, and they didn't find any there. But when they once they started getting thrown with a tremendous velocity, and uh, you know from such a distance, they realized, hey, no human being could throw like that. So they they assumed there's got to be some catapults back in there. And so they went back in there and looked all around, and they didn't find anything. So uh, uh, basically, I, I saw, I did not, you know, and it could have just been me, but uh, you know, I found another rigger that used to work side by side with this guy and it turned out that he was a good friend of mine that, that had been saved for 15 years and was teaching Bible, home Bible studies and everything and so I thought maybe that'll be the, the, the common ground and so when I brought that up to him first thing out of his mouth was man that guy used to be Mike used to be such a cool guy we used to, he was a party animal man we used to go out and have a good time and get drunk and get in fights and everything and he was a great guy then he accepts Christ and Stop drinking. Stop. Who, who's saying this? The rigor. The, the rigor, but before he got saved, yeah. Stop the. Uh, stop fighting. Stop getting drunk on a dime. And he was all bum. It was like, it, it what I thought would be, uh, some common ground that might help lead him to Christ. It was just one of his big complaints about Christ was you took my best friend away, and turned him into a good a goody two shoes, and uh, now nobody wants to go bust heads with me anymore. And uh, uh, and well, th- that guy who ended up coming to Christ, and I, I, I really think that the, uh, yeah, th- that's when I started thinking there might have been some truth to it. And when I actually, we actually did an investigation. That's when I, I came up with the evidence of the craters from rocks or damages on the roof or something with the rocks in the house. No, no, I, I didn't say anything like that, and they, they, they didn't claim the rocks were hitting the house. Um, They've got they've got a the house they've got a barn now they claim that something ended up on the top of the barn 
there, there was one object that they claimed that had been flung across the room. I walked up as he was talking, and I couldn't budge it. Um, but I thought, I personally, I thought maybe he's got a vivid imagination. You know, I was trying to find all different ways, but um, you know, we interviewed about ten or fifteen different people, and uh, uh, I personally, because I'm a Christian, I trusted the Christians more than the non-Christians. But you had both Christians and non-Christians who testified to some of the uh, supernatural aspects. In fact, when I when I talked to the, some of the pastors from this church about it, they said, oh, we already know about that. We've sent some of our people there about six months ago, and we're still in prayer over the situation and all. And, uh, well, our, our diagnosis was you, you still got a guy in the house who's got an open door. See, all the stuff that was still occurring at that point could be explained naturalistically. They would go to bed, they'd get up in the morning, the whole refrigerator, all the food would be thrown all over the floor. But, yeah. And then, then we saw writing on the wall. They'd say, look, and then there was this writing on the wall the other day. And the first thing I did, you know, being in law enforcement at the time, I looked at the way the peas were. Uh, they were done in a real unique way. And then I looked down at a notebook, and I saw the peas on the notebook were written identical. And I said, whose notebook is this? And uh, he, the, 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 the father told me whose it was. Well, then I found out, and I started asking questions. They got uncomfortable. Then I found out that the mother really babies her teenage sons, and uh, that whenever somebody starts saying, hey, this one son's got a problem, uh, they don't want you over there anymore. You're no longer their guest, that type of thing. And uh, so we had to kind of lay back, but at the same time focus their attention on him. He was the problem guy. And it turned out, I mean, it's, whew. You know, his older brother was a lot smaller than him, but the two of them go out into the field. This was happened a few years before that. And they come back, and the, and the, uh, the older brother's been shot with a twenty two, But he claims he did it accidentally to himself. Well, yeah, the 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 older the older brother weighed about 100 pounds, and the younger brother weighed about 150. So, you know, the old the, I think the uh, older brother was scared. So right away I started zeroing in on him. But then it turned out he took a bullwhip to him and really messed him up. Shortly thereafter, and uh, and the mother the 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 uh, younger brother to the older brother. And and so then uh, the 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 mother and father called the cops on him and they carted him away and uh, and really started zeroing in on him as the problem as, as well. So so uh, but at, at that point though, I really think he was demonically influenced and hearing voices that would tell him to do crazy things. But I think enough Christians had, had prayed over that house and that family. And the other family members were Christians to the point where the, the most the demons could get away with on that property was, uh, you know, van little pranks and vandalism that a third grader could do, you know. Um, but whatever the case, uh, that's where I came up with the occult, uh, occultic influence fact sheet where we had the, the checklist, we had them go through all different things and uh, try to try to locate some kinds of open doors uh, anyway uh, uh, by the way Walter Martin investigated the Amityville horror as well uh, the, you know the 
that place over there that the movie was based on and he also he believed that there was demonic activity going on there as well uh, take a look at the Gospel of Luke chapter 8 and verse 2 I'm going to try to run through this stuff so we don't have to uh, you can come back next Wednesday and take the test I'll have the test ready if you would rather not come back next Wednesday let me know ahead of time and I'll just uh, you know give you the test whenever you want to take it uh, that's fine you guys, you know if you guys don't want to take tests that's fine it's zero zero averages only 60 points below a D so uh, okay uh, Luke 8 verse 2 Luke 8 verse 2 it says and they're talking about uh, it is, uh, verse 1 closes and the 12 were with them and it says and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities Mary called Madeline out of whom had come seven demons and then it mentions another lady uh, but here Mary Madeline had seven demons cast out of her so you know that is one thing that is real clear with the scriptures the scriptures teach demon possession uh, Mark chapter 7 Mark chapter 7 starting at verse 24 Kurt stop twirling your head all the way around like that it's bothering me okay uh Mark 7, verses 24 to 30. And uh, from there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Uh, and he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, uh, but he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, Let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. What he's saying is, I came for the nation of Israel first, and uh, it's not, you know, I came for Israel, I'm their Messiah. Uh, and basically the gospel message is going to be offered to the rest of the world when the Jews reject it. But he's actually testing this woman. How, how much do you really love me? Do you love me so much? that if I talk down on you a little bit, you know, nowadays, if Jesus said that to somebody nowadays, you know, uh, it's just not politically correct. Building somebody's self-esteem and your own nationality, you know, and, you know, I grew up hearing Italian jokes and Portuguese jokes all the time, although there's usually not enough Portuguese in America for them to make jokes about, but, but uh, and it never bothered me because, you know, I was proud of who I was and that type of thing but nowadays uh, if you slam somebody because of their nationality or something I'm not saying that we should go around doing that uh, but nowadays race is more important to people than uh, God's truth and so Jesus would say he even called uh, you know he, he's talking to should we take the children's bread the Israelites bread and throw it to little dogs he's calling uh, uh non-Jews dogs which was a, a common uh, racial slur of the Jews now Jesus wasn't a racist he loved all mankind he created all mankind uh, but he was testing this woman to see how much he was going to trust the Lord was the Lord more important to her than the multiculturalism uh, courses of her day okay uh, 
Verse 28, And she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat, eat uh, from the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, For this saying, Go your way, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. Um, again, Luke chapter 8, verses 27 to 33. Luke 8, 27 to 33. Uh, says, And when he stepped out on the land, there, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it often seized him, and he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles. And he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. Jesus asked him, saying, What is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. And they begged him that he would uh, not command them to go into the abyss. The abyss is the, the symbolic term, the, the bottomless pit, a place where demons are chained. Uh, uh, obviously that's sim symbolic because demons are spirit beings. They can't literally be chained but it's but it is a uh, a place of bondage most demons like lucifer roam freely remember when i was mentioning that satan worshipers believe satan is in hell nobody's in hell uh many people are in hades a uh, place of torment and some demons are are chained up in the abyss again symbolic language but most demons lucifer included roams freely and in fact, Satan spends most of his time before the throne room of God accusing the brethren day and night until he'll be cast out halfway through the tribulation period according to Revelation chapter 12. Now, after Satan possesses the Antichrist, when Christ returns, then Lucifer will be chained up in the abyss for a thousand years and then he'll be released and uh, he'll lead his followers at that point they try to attack Christ in Jerusalem Christ will defeat them and then will toss Lucifer into the lake of fire forever and ever so uh, that's when Lucifer will be in hell but uh, uh, anyway they they begged him not to throw them uh, into the abyss verse 32 now a herd of many swine was feeding there on the mountain and they begged him that he would permit them to enter them and he permitted them then the demons went out of the man and entered the swine. Uh, this is really going to hurt the politically correct New Agers here. And entered the swine, and, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake and drowned. By the way, Bertrand Russell used this passage to argue that Jesus wasn't a very moral person, and he argued that Socrates was more moral than Jesus was, because look at all these swine that Jesus killed. And uh, yeah, yeah. And in fact, that's the that's the case that uh, uh, I think I think it's Norman Geisler who said that that just shows the focus of Bertrand Russell. Uh, he's uh, he's not concerned about human. He's more concerned about pigs than he is about human beings. But uh, uh, okay, Matthew 17. Matthew 17, uh, 
Interesting passage here. Verses 18 to 21. Uh, I do not agree, by the way, with Neil T. Anderson that there's all kinds of formulas to cast out demons. Um, yeah. you, you, uh, what you need is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and you need to go in His authority and His power and you need Him to get the job done, not you. Now, it is... It is not always easy for us not for us to recognize that we should not go in our own power, and that is why we need, uh, with some demons, we need prayer and fasting. Um, uh, prayer and fasting—you're taking the focus off yourself. You're putting no confidence in the flesh. You're depriving yourself of your physical needs and focusing on your spiritual needs. And that will make it more difficult for you to go in your own power. But Matthew 17, 18 to 21, uh, And Jesus rebuked the demon, and he came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast him out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, If you have faith as a, as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Okay? Uh, the faith of mustard seed has been pulled way out of its context, by the way. Biblical faith is faith in Jesus. It's not faith in your own faith. It's not a meal ticket with God to do your own thing. Uh, but if God wants a mountain moved, and if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can command the mountain to move and it'll move. Now, if it's not God's will for the mountain to be moved, uh, you know, good luck. Okay, uh, but uh, whatever the whatever the case, uh, there are some demons that are so bad they're not going to come out unless there's prayer and fasting. But the demons fear Jesus; they do not fear you and I. Uh, just a couple other passages I want to look at here before we close up with the uh, the authority of the believer. First uh, John four four says, "Greater is He who is in you than He who is in the world." So we know that uh, the triune God who indwells us is greater uh, than Lucifer, the God of this age, the God of this world. And, uh, um, and you couple that with James 4, 7, and it leads me to believe that a, uh, a believer cannot be demon-possessed. There's some people that believe that uh, true born-again believers can be demon-possessed. I disagree with them. Uh, Look at James chapter 4, verse 7. James 4 and verse 7. There he's therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. See, if you're a believer, if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. Uh, Paul talked about spiritual battle in Ephesians 6, 10 to 18, put on the full armor of God. He explained that in Romans chapter 13, verses 12 to 14. He called it the armor of light, and then he said, he said, put on the armor of light, and then he said, put on the Lord Jesus. So if you go in the strength of Christ and in his power, uh, Lucifer will flee from you. And uh, um, so I, I do not believe that believers can be demon possessed. Demon possession entails two things. Uh, Residence and control. The demon has to possess the person. He has to reside there and take control of the body from the human soul. 
And then number two, he has to, uh, uh, you know, take control of you, basically. So there's residence and control. I do believe that believers can be influenced uh, from the outside. You know, the uh, you can hear voices. I, I hear, you know, sometimes I hear a voice in my head, sounds like my own voice, and it says to help somebody when I don't feel like helping them. And I usually recognize, okay, that's God's voice. And then at other times I'll hear a little voice in my head that, that tells me to, you know, bust up somebody's head. When I, and I know that's not God's voice. And uh, every once in a while it might not even be my own voice. Uh, you know, sometimes it's my own carnal nature and bad temper. But, uh, but there's, there's other times, you know, we need to test the spirits uh, to see whether they're from God. But a believer... Uh, can be influenced from the outside, but as far as being uh, 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 an evil spirit residing, you know, he's not going to share residence with the Holy Spirit. And if the believer resists the devil, the devil will flee from him. Uh, so I do not believe that a believer can be uh, demon-possessed. Uh, I want to close out this study uh, with a brief dis- discussion of the authority of the believer the authority of the believer. The illustration, I believe Josh McDowell gives it in his, in his book, the illustration of a police officer will suffice. Uh, a police officer is not physically able to, start, to stop a moving vehicle, a vehicle that's moving 60 miles an hour. Even if, he's, even if this cop is as big as Lou Ferrigno, he cannot stop 2,000 pounds of machinery traveling at him 60 miles an hour. He does not have the physical strength to stop However, because the police officer represents the law and has its authority invested in him, he can just hold out his hand, and usually if the driver is paying attention and if he isn't the most lawless worm going, uh, he's gonna, his vehicle is going to come to a screeching halt. Okay, And so uh, it's not the, the power of the officer... But it's, it's, who he, it's what he represents. He represents the law and has its authority vested in him. Uh, this is an analogy of the Christian. We represent Christ and have his authority. Uh, demons fear Christ. They do not fear us. In uh, the book of Acts, we don't have time to turn it right now, and I don't even remember the exact chapter, but the sons of Sceva, as Kurt was mentioned, mentioned 17. the Acts 17, the sons of Sceva, uh, they were trying to cast out demons by the Jesus whom Paul preached. So they didn't personally know Jesus. They probably didn't even personally know Paul. But they heard Paul was preaching in the name of this Jesus, and it was so powerful that demons were fleeing. And what happened was they ended up getting uh, the, 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 the demon-possessed people tore, tore their clothes right off them, and they went out bloody and running naked uh, and made total jackasses out of themselves uh, and the fact of the matter is you need that personal relationship with Jesus Christ the true Jesus of the Bible and you need to go in his authority in his strength and not confident that you're going to win this battle on your own I, I personally if I, whenever I get asked to enter into a situation like that uh, and I do not claim to have ever cast out demons in my life uh, but uh, though I think that's that's going to be more and more common uh, as time goes on because of uh, all the, uh, the the neo-paganism, the resurgence of pagan beliefs in our country, 
but uh, whatever the case, I, I always go to, to, to prayer and at least a 24-hour fast before uh, investigating anything in the world of the occult. Uh, oh, Acts, Acts 19 with the sons of Sceva. Uh, also, by the way, I, I am of the... I agree with J.P. Moreland. I, I've said it for years, but I, I, I was really glad to hear that he held to that position too. I believe that if we performed a brain transplant, if you did a brain transplant with Mother Teresa and Adolf Hitler, Mother Teresa, if we had the medical technology to do that, Mother Teresa would still act like Mother Teresa and Adolf Hitler would still act like Adolf Hitler. Now, there might be some something wrong with some of the memory or whatever, I don't know. Uh, because of the, you know, you can you can have a person can get their brain damaged, and because of it, the soul uh, no longer can function in the physical world, and can relate to it in certain ways. But but basically, I, I think uh, when you have cases of demon possession, you have a, an immaterial spirit taking control of a human brain, and it no longer has that human's personality. It has the personality of the spirit. Not that brain. You know, there was a there was a time when Christian preachers believed that because the Bible talked about loving God with all your heart, and this guy has a good heart, that guy has a bad heart. There were Christian preachers who believed that if you ever did a heart transplant, and you took uh, the heart out of a good man and put uh, the heart of an evil man inside of him, then he would become an evil man, and that has not occurred. And I agreed. I agree with Moreland that the uh, the brain is just one of many organs that the body has, and it's uh, it's it's the organ, that, uh, a physical organ, that the human soul acts upon, uh, and is uh, um, basically the instrument through it uh, relates in many different ways with the physical world in which we live. Uh, but whatever the case, uh, with the authority of the believer, uh, we represent Christ and have His authority. Demons fear Christ. Uh, they do not fear us. So we need to go in His authority, not our own. James 2.19 tells us that the demons believe that God is one and they shudder. They fear God. Uh, Mark chapter 1, you know, the demons always recognize. Uh, you know, as soon as Jesus would show up on the scene, even the apostles were trying to figure out at times who Jesus really was. Well, the demons would recognize immediately. A demon-possessed person, the demon would speak through him and what have you to do with us, O Son of God? They recognized him immediately and they feared him. Mark 1, 23-26 and uh, that reads, Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet, and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed, had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. So uh, the, the demons fear Christ. In Jude verses 8 and 9, Michael the archangel has an argument with Lucifer over the body of Moses. And uh, Michael the archangel didn't want to bring a railing judgment against Lucifer. He basically he didn't, he did not want that lock horn, to lock horns with Lucifer. Lucifer was too big and too rough for him. And so he said, the Lord rebuked you. And we need to do the same. We need to go in the Lord's authority and uh, not in our own strength.
we don't have time to turn there, but in Ephesians chapter 6, in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 18, uh, Paul talks about putting on the full armor of God, the uh, breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, uh, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and, and, and prayer. And going into the helmet of salvation, uh, he also, uh, we need that. He says in Ephesians 6.12 that uh, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual powers, the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Um, he tells us in Romans 13, 12 to 14, put on the armor of light, and then he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So basically, uh, taking on the authority of Christ, becoming more and more Christ-like, less, trusting less and less in yourself, Paul says, we're the true circumcision, Philippians 3, 3, we're the true circumcision, we put no confidence in the flesh, we put no confidence in ourselves. So we must have the full armor of God. You don't just pray it on, you've got to put it on. You've got to study the Word. The Word of God is your weapon, your only offensive weapon for spiritual battle. We need to know know the Word of God, know how to use it, and uh, uh, diligently study the Word of God, 2 Timothy 2.15, use it accurately. Uh, we need to know how to use the Word of God like a Marine uses his, his M16 or a Roman soldier, his sword. Luke chapter 10, verses uh, 19 and 20. Um, Jesus said, Behold, I give you the authority to, to his, uh, his uh, 70 disciples. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. And so... It's because of the authority of Christ that the demonic, the, the demons uh, fear, the, the demons fear Christ. It is not us that they fear. Exodus chapter seven, verses ten to twelve. Remember, we read that Aaron turned the, God miraculously turned Aaron's rod into a serpent. The magicians did the same with their magical arts, but then the the, the serpent from Aaron's rod devoured the other serpents. There is power in the world of the occult. But our God is all-powerful, and His power supersedes any power that is in the world of the occult. If we go in the authority of Christ, we'll be victorious. If we go in our own strength, we'll get demolished. And of course, Philippians 2, 5-11...